Good morning, Redeemer. Good morning. So, yeah, the you know, when, when you first start taking a preaching class with Dean, if you start now, simultaneously now, like I'm like my teacher. If you start taking a preaching class with me, one of the first things we tell you is, please, 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 don't choose something controversial. Okay? <laughs> if you have any love for us, if you have any love for yourself, do not choose anything controversial. Don't go up there and try to explain some meaning of justification that Luther, right? Don't try to talk about how Paul isn't really an apostle, which I actually tried to do. Dean, stop me. Now, the problem then runs into is, is when you go from the guy that fills in to the guy that is doing it all the time, well, you can't avoid the controversial parts. <laughs> so when I sent out the email, you guys maybe have been surprised because I've never sent an email like that before, but it, you might see those from time to time because I, I'm, I'm a, a parent and I have kids and you know we decided, hey, sure, the boys can read judges. They, they seem mature enough. And, and then they come to you with questions from judges. And you're like, man, uh, why did God put that part in the Bible, right? And, and then you're like, how about, Titus, you just read the kid's Bible? But that's not good enough, is it? We, we, we as Nate said, we have to deal with these parts. We have to. And, and what is fascinating about this story that we're going to look at today is that there is nothing new under the sun. Like, I, I was confused at times, is, is this, this is like Winston Churchill's mom, which I'm going to explain. It's exactly like a biography of her. This is like Winston Churchill's mother. I'm telling you, I'm going to get into that. It's, it's shocking. This is like a, a Clinton memoir, this thing here. I, you probably don't know what the show TMZ is. It's probably good. Yes, thank you. But it's this smutty show that you watch on TV where they just relate all of the happenings down in Hollywood and with famous people. And this reading this is like watching that. That's what it's like. This is gross. I had to rub Purell on my brain when I was done every day studying this story because it's so icky. And, and, and what we don't want to admit is that this story is about us. It's about you. It's about me. It's about our spouses. It's about our marriages. It is no wonder that if you go into the Old Testament, you've got this character called Jezebel. Now, she becomes an archetypal character. Jezebels are now a thing. So here in the Old Testament, men are struggling, right? Ahab, what's he? He's crying on his couch because he wants to steal this land from somebody, and his wife's like, hold my beer, let me take care of this for you. You get here, Jesus comes, and what has he got? He's got a Jezebel on his hands. In modern day, we call them Black Widow. If you're confused by what I mean by this, in Marvel, there's actually a character called Black Widow. And what does she do? She seduces men and murders them. She's involved in international intrigues. This is a character in, in, in culture because this character is always in culture. And men love Jezebels. We are, like, addicted to them. And Jezebels are going to Jezebel. Okay, once you get a woman and you, and you disconnect her from every form of restraint, every form of boundary, and, 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 you, and you just unleash her on the world, they are going, it's going, there's going to be an intrigue, there is going to be murder, there is going to be, and, and, and what's behind it? Because in our day, in our circles, what do, we, what do we love to hate? We love to hate Hillary Clinton. We love to hate porn stars. We love to hate Kate Winslet. Can that woman make a movie without taking her clothes off? I don't think she can. 
If you don't know, which I'm also glad you don't, I think she probably writes it into every contract that that woman's got to take her shirt off in every single movie she is ever in. And men are like, yeah, man, she can act. Woo. We love Jezebels. And women love to hate Jezebels. And, and what do Jezebels do? Jezebels are going to Jezebel. They're going to rule over the weak men in their life, and they are going to murder. And if you do not think that this, is, has, this story has anything to do with us, let's go down to Planned Parenthood and look at the records of how many people have died at the hands of women. This is a very modern story. And this is a very difficult story to have to, to dig into. But, but I want us to, I'm, I'm going to occasionally make a joke still because this thing is so heavy you have to, otherwise we would all be in tears halfway through this thing. But this is very serious. And, and, and you do not want to see yourself in this story. But this story is about you. And so let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord God, that you comfort the, your suffering children and that you confront your wayward children. And we pray, Lord God, that we, we like to stop up our ears we like pretense. We like to sit under good preaching. We like to attend a decent church, Lord God. But you know how difficult it is for us to understand our own hearts, our own motivations, our own culture. And I pray, Lord God, that as you confront us today with the truth, that we would hear it and that it would take root in our hearts, that we, it would lead to repentance, it would, re, it would re lead, lead to freedom, and it would lead to renewal. We thank you and we praise you. And, and, and I pray, Lord, that you would give me an abundance of wisdom uh, and decency even now as, as I get into this. And I pray that you would bless us abundantly. Amen. So we, we read the, the lengthy section last week um, because it's one of those sandwich stories where uh, Mark starts talking about Jesus and his disciples. And then he goes away for a while and he starts talking about the death of, of John the Baptist. And then in the end, in verse 30, he comes back and he mentions... Uh, the disciples again. So the section that we're in today, and unlike last week, I will read the verses as we go. I promise it was a little confusing last week, but I will read them as we go. We're starting in verse 14, when Herod has now heard of Jesus for the first time. That's where we're at, verse 14. Jesus's mission, if we remember from John chapter 1, verse 14, his mission began at the imprisonment of John. Now at the death of John, his disciples are going out on their mission. So there, there's these connection points here that Mark is trying to, to draw our attention to. Jesus didn't get started until John was declining. His disciples go out and do more, right? They're expanding Jesus's ministry as John's comes to an end. So there's a connection point between these two. So just keep that in the back of your mind. If, if you turn to chapter 9... Chapter 9, verse 9, Jesus later makes some commentary. I'm going to go and read those verses now because later I'm not going to do another sermon on this subject. We're going to go and we're going to grab that, bring it back here, and we're going to help it clarify. Chapter 9, verse 9, this is what Jesus says. And as they were coming down from the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, why do you... Do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased. 
as it is written of him. Now, who is this Elijah? Who's the Elijah they're talking about? It's John the Baptist. It's John the Baptist. And and as we get into these verses, what do we immediately see in verse 14 and 15? King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said he is Elijah, and others said he is a prophet like one of the prophets of old. So right out of the gate we see there's all kinds of confusion here about the messianic promises, about these promises about Elijah. People are trying to figure out who Jesus is. They know what he's doing, but they don't know what it means. And what have we seen all the way up till now? People are saying, well, who is this? What do you have to do with us? Right? His, even his disciples say, who is this? Who is Jesus? Well, what we see now are people are starting to attempt to answer the question. Okay, well, you know, he started when John went in jail. Now he's expanding when John is put to death. He must be John. He's John, resurrected. Why else would he be able to do these miraculous things? And Herod's like, Herod, who has the, right, a, a total guilty conscience at this point, he's like, yeah, 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 that's the one. Because and, and there's this mysterious idea about resurrection here for the spiritually inclined, because I would not call Herod Antipas here a believer. He, he, he's superstitious. And for him, it's John come back from the dead, and that's why he has powers now. He went down to Hades, and he came back from Hades with powers, just like the old Greek stories. And now he's coming to take vengeance on me because I murdered him. So that's how he's processing who this person is, Jesus. But there's other stories. Some say it's Elijah. Now, the reason I say that is if you, in, in, back in Kings, Elijah didn't die. He was taken up to heaven. He was just taken away. No, there's no body of Elijah buried anywhere in this world. And so later in Malachi 4, 5, it says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. So the expectation is that Elijah himself is going to come back from heaven and he's going to inaugurate the day of the Messiah. That's why everybody's waiting for him. Well, there's no Messiah without Elijah, so everyone's waiting for Elijah. And at this point, everybody thinks it's actually going to be Elijah who comes. So Jesus must be Elijah. Well, no, 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 no. If we go back and remember John, he looks like, sounds like, acts like, eats like, wanders around in the wilderness like Elijah did. He's, he's come in the spirit and the mantle of Elijah. And they did to him whatever they wanted. Why? Because he was a prophet of God. He was a prophet of God. And, and what do the evil kings of Israel always do to prophets? Murder them. They never met a prophet they didn't like to murder. Right? And they honor the prophets. They build these tombs to them. They build statues to them. Kind of like you see icons and things amongst religious people. We love pictures of Jesus. We love to revere Mary. We love to revere Calvin. Right? If you go to Geneva, we're Protestants. We don't avoid it. There's these statues there. And, and, just, and this is always my point. If John Calvin showed up here to preach, we would, I would be, I myself would be going down to the hardware store to buy rocks. If, if, if John Calvin actually came here and preached to us the way he preached to his own people, we would want to murder him too. And, and, and so, of course, John is Elijah. Because look at what they did to him. They did to him exactly what, what, what bad kings of Israel always do to the prophets. Whatever they wanted. There's another tradition that goes even further back. Moses, in, in Deuteronomy 18.18, 18 said, I will, this is God speaking. Moses is recording what God says. 
I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. So there's this idea of one of the prophets of old. There's this promise of a prophet who's going to come, who's going to be the greatest prophet of all, and, and, and maybe that's who Jesus is. But that's not who Jesus is, is it? Well, actually, that is who Jesus is. He is the greater prophet. He says, I'm greater than Moses. In Acts, Peter preaches the fact that the greater prophet promised by Moses came, and it was Jesus. But what you see, what the point of all of this is, is everybody is trying to explain who Jesus is. And none of these say he's the Messiah. None of these say, well, you know, the guy quiets storms, people touch his clothes, and they're healed. He touches lepers, and he doesn't become a leper. Clearly, this person is not a prophet. Remember the withered hand? The withered hand, God heals a withered hand to, to, to show that the prophet who's speaking is his prophet. Never in the past had a prophet come and done the healing himself. Everybody is befuddled by who Jesus is. And those with a guilty conscience, like Herod, are haunted by who he might be. Who is this man? What does his ministry mean? And, and Mark is doing this because all along, who does Mark say he is? In, in Mark 1.1, 1, 1, he says, this is the Son of God. We're about to hit the high water mark of this gospel account. In chapter 8, verse 30, he's going to ask his disciples who he is. And they're going to say, the Messiah, the Son of God. At the very end of the gospel, the only one in the whole story who says he is the Son of God is a centurion who's there watching him die on the cross. So Mark is like, well, you know, everyone seems a little befuddled as to who this guy is, but I'll tell you who he is. He's the son of God. And, and we, we think we mature well beyond this. But we read these stories, and how often do you want, like how often, if you read this story leading into today, if you've read this story before, have you ever thought, about what does this have to do with anything? This is God speaking to me, but what is he saying to me? Some tart long ago murdered a prophet because, why? Because he, he talked back to her or something? I don't understand. What is this? Who is this speaking? What do these words have to do with me? What do you have to do with me, Jesus? And, and we don't think that's what we're doing when we're reading scripture, but it's what we're doing. We're struggling to understand who he is and what these words here have to do with us personally. And, and so that's why we have to be not double-minded, not pursuing other things, because this requires a lot of work. This requires a lot of, a lot of prayer. This requires a lot of dedication to understand what is going on here. And Mark's message is the same then as it is now. Jesus is the Son of God. His Father said, this is my Son, my beloved Son, listen to him. Jesus comes and says, follow me. Yeah, but there's this carload of Jezebels over here, and they actually look pretty smoking hot, so I think what I'm going to do is go over there. Like, I know by Sunday, I'll be right back in the pew. It'll be fine. I'll, I'll sit under the preaching. I'll, I'll hear another message. I'll repent. They give me this opportunity to repent at the beginning of every service. And so midweek, what do we do? I'll look at the Jezebel over there. Let's go follow that path. Right? Or as we're going to explain, ladies, Jezebels are going to Jezebel. And so if your men are, are encouraging you to act this way, this is how you're acting. 
we're all double-minded. We come here and we, and we do this whole thing and we think, yeah, all right, it's going to be fine at the end. I'm in. I got my ticket stamped. Right? My, my attendance at church is perfect. But what this story reveals is that the external signs isn't the thing that we're going to put all of our heart and mind, body, and soul into. It's not, it's not what we're going to put all of our faith into. You can be double-minded. You could sit under perfectly excellent preaching and even be perplexed by it and, 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 and affected by it and still go out and be a son of Satan. Twice the son of Satan if you're baptized. Twice the son of Satan if you're teaching your children these things and not doing them yourself. So who is this Herod? Okay, I'm, I'm already going to my conclusion. <laughs> and I need to stop and back up. Who is Herod? I, I don't know about you, but I'm always super confused. Herod seems like he must have lived a long time. Because at the beginning of the Gospels, you've got Herod, and he's killing babies because he doesn't know who the Messiah is. And then here you've got Herod. And then at the end of the Gospels, you've got Herod. And then you go into Acts, like into Acts 12, there's Herod. You're like, man, this guy must be old. Then you go all the way to the end, right? This is where it's even more confusing. Acts 12, there's a Herod who's wearing silver clothes, and, he, and he's out in the sunshine, and he's speaking, and all the people say, oh, the voice of God, and he doesn't correct anybody, and God smites him dead. You're like, man, finally. Whew, that dude needed to die like back in Mark chapter 1. And then it, and at the end of Acts 24, without any explanation, there's Herod again. You're like, dude, can't we get rid of this guy? Now, why do you think they do that? Why do you think there's all these Herods and, and the gospel authors don't take the time to explain who's who, what's what? Well, just like Jezebel's, they're an archetypal character. You wake up every morning, your life is full of Jezebel's and Herods. You might be Jezebel's and Herods. He, wants, he doesn't want to make distinctions because he wants you to understand, everywhere you go, in any age of man, this is a character you're going to run into. You are probably the character yourself. But, for the sake of clarity, let's talk about all of these Herods. There's a man named Herod the Great, and he was the king. And he liked himself a lot. And so he had a whole bunch of sons. And because he loved himself so much, he named all of them Herod. And there are so many Herods, this is why it's hard to keep track of. Because there's Herod Antipas, and Herod Philip, and Herod Agrippa, and Herod the Great. And you're like, okay, I'm sorry, I need a decoder ring to figure out who's who here. Now, this is, does anyone know who George Foreman is? Former heavyweight champion of the world. He has five sons. You know what he named all of his sons? George. He's got a daughter he named Georgina. Right? There is nothing new under the sun. And, and, and in an interview, I watched it. He said, I wanted them all to, to have something in common. Being brothers wasn't enough? I guess I don't understand. But, right, think of this, the former heavyweight champion of the world. The only decent name for a man is George. Herod's the same way. He's got all these boys running around. The only decent name, Herod. And so it creates a lot of confusion. So Herod, the great, has all these sons. Herod Philip, Herod Antipas are the two that we really care about. But he was such a terrible king Rome was like, we cannot have this anymore. These Herods are just pff, out of control. 
So they take the kingship away, they take four of his sons, and they form what they call a tetrarchy. That's just a fancy way of saying four rulers. So Herod is a tetrarch. Herod Antipas is the one we're dealing with in today's story. I'm going to call him Antipas for now on, but he's Herod Antipas. Antipas is a tetrarch. He's not a king. The kingship was taken away. But there's these four brothers who all have chunks of land. Herod Phillips was the smallest amount, and he's got this wife named Herodias, which is his niece. He's like, you know, this family's pretty awesome, and I'm not going to go outside of this family because this family's where it's at, so I'm not going to marry any of these local women. I'm going to marry my niece. Uh, yeah, Leviticus 18, 13 through 14. Let's just read this. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your mother's sister, for she is your mother's relative. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's brother. That is, you shall not approach his wife. She is your aunt. Now, this works both ways. If a man can't sleep with his aunt, a young woman cannot sleep with her uncle. Right? And, and in the Jewish culture, this is incest. So the Herods, who are supposed to be the king of the Jews, are like at the top, they've got all this incest going on. Because Antipas is like, you know... I wanted to marry my niece. He thinks she's quite something, this Herodias. And so Antipas actually convinces her to leave her husband, his brother, and come and marry him. He's like, <laughs> incest, bro. Watch this. I'll, do, I'll double down. I'll do incest and adultery. And Her Herodias gets an upgrade. The palaces are nicer. There's more Roman soldiers. There's fewer Jews. In fact, they went so far as to build their palace on an old graveyard, as I said last week. Uh, not a lot of Jews are going to go visit you when you live on a bunch of dead people, since it makes everybody un uh, unclean. So this is the couple we're dealing with here. And I don't think I need to explain this, but uh, Leviticus also says this. You can't divorce someone and then marry his brother while the, your, your first husband is still alive. Okay? That's just not allowed. So this is the couple we've got. Now, Herodias likes the upgrade, but she wants more of an upgrade. She remembers Grandpa. He was a bad dude. Herod the Great was a... That is a man who could throw his weight around. And everybody called him king. So she convinces Antipas two times to, to try to seek the title of king from Rome. And the first time, they're like, okay, no, not going to happen. Get over yourselves. The second time... Calig Caligula, Emperor Caligula, in AD 39, says, okay, I've had enough of you. So he exiles him to Gaul, and Herodias goes with him. That comes later, though. Also, by the way, Antipas had a wife. He put her away. His, uh, her dad was the king of a rather large kingdom, and he doesn't take very kindly to it. And so not long after this story in here, he comes and destroys pretty much all of Herod Antipas's kingdom. So this is what we have going on. This is the family now. This is the, <laughs> this is the family. But it gets worse. I mean, if you can imagine, what we're going to see is we're just, this is like, um, it's like digging a hole down into, into like filth. We're just going to go a little further in the filth now. If you turn to verses 19 through 20, this is what it says. And Herodias had a grudge against John the Baptist and wanted to put him to death, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet heard him gladly. So, so John the Baptist is, is 
he, he's all about repentance, right? This is what he wants. Everybody's going to repent. Everybody. I don't care if you're a priest. I don't care if you're a so-called king, whatever. Anybody who's got sin in the closet has got to bring it out now and deal with it. And so he stands up and speaks truth to power, which is something I'm always talking about. And he's not afraid of the sword. And he says, you guys can't do this. It's incest. And on top of that, it's adultery. And you can't do this. Now, does, does, does Antipas want to put him to death for this, for speaking out against his power? No. No. Jezebel, on the other hand, right, who's, who's surrounded by the weakest possible kind of men, who has, right, all, think about this, all the walls have come down. There is no restraint on this woman. Marital restraint, ethical restraint, financial restraint, nothing. Nothing is keeping this woman from doing anything she wants whenever she wants to do it. And this is what the whole culture is like. Because men like this kind of woman, because a woman who's down for anything is, you know, down for anything. And they, we, right? This is, what we, this is what a Jezebel is. We call them feminists now. Because what we want is a woman with no restraint. Marriage is an institution of slavery. We don't need that. No, 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 no. I don't, me take care of you? Funny. No, 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 girl. You can work just as well as I can. Go get a job. Wear pants. Right? This is what this, this, people want to think feminism is something other than this. Feminism is, is, is designed by weak men to have women who, who they can have full access to. And that's what Herodias is. And so one man comes along and tells her there's some limits to what she can do, and she wants to get your laws off my body, brother. I'm not having that. Nobody tells me what I can and cannot do. I am a liberated woman. Who made her this way? Who made her this way? For what purpose? What, what have they unleashed on the world? You go back in the Old Testament, who, who, who wanted Jezebel? Ahab. Right? And look at that story. She's got a, her husband wants land. He doesn't get it, so he goes and cries on his little bed. Oh, mommy, he wouldn't give it to me. <laughs> okay, sweet pea, I'll take care of it. She writes letters to these men in this town who are supposed to be elders, and what do they say? Oh, man, that Jezebel. Whew. Nobody tells her nothing. Okay, we're going to murder this guy. It's like my brother-in-law. I mean, we're elders in this town. He's a big man with a lot of property. I don't care, though. Jezebel wants him dead, so he's going to die. And, and men who pursue Jezebels, who create Jezebels, think that it's going to be this feast of pleasure. They think it's going to be, oh, no limits, baby. And what they do is they create someone with no limits. Who, who they've proven at this point, they're not strong enough to lead out of a paper bag. This is a, a lengthy read, but go to, with me to Revelation. The Old Testament, you've got Jezebel's. Jesus' day, you've got Jezebel's. I'm sure glad that Jesus died on the cross and took care of all of this. Because, man, it would be terrible if there were Jezebel's now, wouldn't it? I mean, and thank goodness, we go to church. We got lots of good works. Look at my resume. I got a resume of good works, baby. You want to see it? I'm a good man. Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2, verse 18. Now listen carefully, please. If you're going to listen to anything else I say today, listen to this very carefully. 
And to the angel of the church in Thyatira, write this, the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze, I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance. And that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation. Unless they repent of her works, and I will strike her children dead, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end. To him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces. Even I, as I myself have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear. Well, I'm sure glad he took care of that Jezebel thing. Oh, no, he didn't. Why? Because men love Jezebels. We love them. We want women that we can have access to whatever way we want, whenever way we want it, and what, whatever we got to tear down to get it, we'll do it. How is that not feminism? How is that not the age in which we live? Right? And, and what do we do? We gather around in our little clubs here, and we start throwing rocks at the Jezebels. How did Jesus handle women like this? Well, if you go to John chapter 4, and is it that late already? If you go to John chapter 4, there is a woman at the well, and Jesus meets her, and he says, go get your husband. Oh, wait, no, you've had seven husbands. And he, here he is talking to her, and he's like, okay, well, this woman's available. She clearly has a problem with boundaries. Maybe I'll bring her on the team. Is that what he says? Is that, is that how he, No. No, what is he doing? He, he's preaching the gospel to her. He's giving her... No, get your eyes off this world. Get your eyes off of men. Right? She has known nothing but failures of men. Failures. Utter failures. Top to bottom. And he is not going to come along and, and join in that cycle. You go a little further into John 8, and there's the prostitute that all the old guys are going to stone. Well, all the guys are going to stone. Now... You can't put somebody to death without two witnesses. So who are the two witnesses that confirm the fact that this woman's a prostitute? Awkward. That is super awkward. There she is in the community. She lays on her back because you pay her. That's why. This is the reason she does it. But, but you know what? We can't have this kind of filth in our community. So out here in the broad daylight, look how righteous I am. We're going to put this woman to death. So Jesus says, okay, you who has no sin, throw the first stone. The only person qualified is him. Right? This, the, the, this, is, the, this is the God that the feminist culture wants to, to, to detach you from. Now, God, the God of the Bible, all he wants is slavery. 
All he wants is judgment. All he is is just fire and brimstone and hatred. Right? He hates queers. He hates women. And all the men that worship him and all the women are just fooled. And they're all the same, just like him. He's the only one that can throw the stone. And does he throw it? Now, does he make light of what she does? No. He says, stop sinning. He commands her, stop sinning. He knows this Jezebel is a Jezebel because of these men. And he's not going to stand for it. And he himself is not going to continue this. Because what you have in this culture, what you have in every culture, is weaponized sexuality, monetized sexuality. A woman realizes, <laughs> because men have no self-control, because men ha- want no boundaries, they realize, I, wait, I can use my flesh to control his flesh, and I can be on top. I can be on top of the world. Right? It's pretty hard for a man to sleep his way to a top when it's all men. Woman, on the other hand, I can sleep my way to the top? All right, CEO, baby. Glass ceilings, they're coming down. We create these women. We make them this way. We teach them to monetize and to weaponize their sexuality. And then we wonder why everything goes to pot. Right? How's Jeff Bezos doing? Right? How's his little kingdom? He created a Jezebel, all right. And, and now who's got to suffer for it? The two of them? No, they're probably on an island somewhere that he owns, having a great old time. But all those other people that work for him, all those other people that had stock options, don't even get me started about his wife and kids. We create Jezebels because what we want are women that we can just have at any old way we want, any old time we want, and then what they do and, and this is like a trap we set for ourselves every single time. Because if you go back to the beginning, hello, there were two people there at the fall, both affected by it. And the one is told, now what your desire is going to be, your desire is going to be to rule over him. And good women are like, no, I don't, right? I don't want to do that. Just like good men are like struggling because they don't want to give up responsibility. But the struggle that they have is that they want to give up responsibility to please their flesh. And women are like, listen, if you just put me in charge, things would be better. And, and, then, they're, and then on top of that, you're like, oh, you're going to just let me be in charge? This is how you're going to do it? I use my flesh to control your flesh, and then I'm in charge? And no woman is ever tempted by this? It's insane. It's insane to think that men, weak men are going to create anything other than Jezebels and that those Jezebels are going to wreak havoc on scales that we can hardly imagine. Right? Because the nonsense crap that you hear is that women are more compassionate, women are more understanding. Funny little thing. When they first allowed women to be police officers, you know what they found? They, they were like considerably, 75% less likely to be compassionate when they go to a home where the man is beating up the woman because they think, yeah, she probably deserved it. And that is like, you go and read the study, that's what it says. Because there is a desire in women, inherent in the fall, that they want to rule over men. And nobody takes that very seriously, right? We, we get into our own homes, and we throw our weight around, we talk about submission. Meanwhile, we've given away the storehouse, We've given away everything. President stands up at his State of the Union and he has everybody clap because they never had so many female congresswomen. And, and they're who? AOC? 
If you don't know who that is, let me tell you. You want to laugh? You want to, you want to get a laugh? Look up this woman. She's known as AOC, and she's a congresswoman. And it is the most ridiculous thing I have ever seen in politics in any age that I've ever studied. But hey, you know, break those glass ceilings, baby. Women unfettered, women surrounded by nothing but weak men are ruthless. Ruthless. And we have a world telling us that what we need is more women in charge because they're going to be more compassionate. And that is a lie. That is a lie. I have a great deal to say about this subject. Now, <laughs> striptease as a conspiracy to commit, commit murder. That's what we're talking about here, right? We've got Herodias using her daughter to do a striptease to commit murder. Now, I'm sure, men, we'll agree, we don't really have that problem in this church, right? I, I'm fairly certain if we had a barbecue, this is not what the women would be conspiring to do, right? But like, but like Pharisees, like the good older brother, we look at this and we're like, this has nothing to do with us. This is out there. But let's talk about weaponized sexuality for a moment, monetized sexuality, right? There is too much to the wrong person, right? Let's use this. We'll show a lot because our flesh, can, we can use it to control the flesh of men, to control men. Well, there's another way to go with this, actually, and that is, you know, showing too little to the right guy. And you can weaponize it and monetize it going the other direction. I'm only going to do that if you're a really good boy, We're Right? I'm going to withhold because you're kind of a jerk right now. Now, there's a lot to be said about withholding. I, I have six children. There is this natural thing that occurs in which marital relations take a break. There is the natural way of all things. But if you turn in God's word, this is what it says in 1 Corinthians 7, 5. This is what I'm talking about. The culture is out here, and it's a hellhole out there. And we are here, and we think, man, we're doing really well. But let's, has, I, I had never thought of this until recently. And this is what we don't know ourselves. People are going to look back on this age right now, and they're going to say, if the Christians were that sexually corrupt, no wonder the world was such as it is. Listen to this. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 5. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement, for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer. But then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So if you're going to withhold, it's got to be by mutual agreement, and it's got to be for a short time. Now, is that the way that it works? Let me ask another question. God naturally separates us. It says here that he does that in order for us to pray. I, I will be the first man in this room to say we have... Uh, I get almost guarantee none of us have ever thought of it that way. We've had a baby, and, and we can't be together for a while, and thank God God gave us this time of prayer. Uh, my midwife class, that they, they didn't cover that part, partially because that whole thing is led by women. But I'm sorry, that's a whole other subject. I digress. Separate. Do it. It's, not only is it natural to happen, sometimes, let me tell you, you guys get into a bunch of sin, and that just kind of confuses it, so just take a break. Do it by mutual agreement, though, and do it for prayer. 
ladies, it, it's by mutual agreement and mutual agreement only. Now, now, let me tell you, I do a bit of counseling, and, and you're thinking you had mutual agreement. Are you kidding me? Mutual agreement? Yeah, and then that's the problem. Yeah, he wouldn't agree to that, would he? No, because he's a Herod. And what he wants is it all the time. And then he wants you to be able to provide something for him when you can't do it yourself. That's ultimately how they had multiple, multiple wives in the Old Testament. Because there's all these natural separations, and or the ladies get a little older, and or they can't have kids, and the kids was the most important thing, and so they compromised in that area. We do it too. And, and men, if you don't think you have more than one wife, let me go back to the Kate Winslet option. Because you can have more than one wife, because when you're sexually adulterous in your mind, your, your flesh and their flesh are going like this and becoming one, and you can do it without ever leaving your house. The age in which we live, we are toying around with things that we do not understand. So I can go on Netflix and, and, and I can have several wives. Well, this show stars a blonde. This show stars a barely legal. Look at the harem I've got here. Thank you, Netflix producers. You guys know how to put a harem together. And where's wife? Well, she's exhausted, so she's sleeping. Right? And, a man couldn't possibly have more than one Netflix account that wifey doesn't know about. And, and, and part of the problem here, what we're going to see is, because I have to start wrapping this up, I could go on quite a bit more. When Herodias sends her daughter, what they had were two kinds of prostitutes in the day. One was the common streetwalker that every age has. You go down to the Highway 99, about 4 o'clock, there they are. There was another level of prostitute. We call them call girls now, sophisticated women, women who can afford nice clothes, a woman who's going to be able to tell you what is the correct wine to purchase when you go take her out to a restaurant, ones who are more companions. Every household had prostitutes this way. Generally, they walked around wearing nothing but sandals. And, and if you lived with the Herodians, ladies, wouldn't you be like, yes, yes, please, let's get some household prostitutes because the last thing I want are these men coming anywhere near me. In Roman culture, you would have prostitutes living in your household. Do you know why? Because the men were f disgusting pigs. And I'm telling you right now, ladies, if you think, you know, it's a little easier if he just stays up and watches some Netflix by himself. If that thought crosses your mind even a little bit, right? We do not understand what we're messing around with. We don't. We don't. Men have no self-control. Very little self-control. It's very hard to develop more self-control. Men want access to please themselves. They want a feast of pleasure. That is what they want. A lot of drinks, a lot of nakedness. This is what we want. In our flesh, it's what we all want. And to say anything else is to just not understand the game that we're playing. You're not even showing up. We want Jezebels. And, and, and if we have a difficult time getting access to them outside of our own home, we'll create them in our own home. Right? Because we've all seen the pathetic man who's just a, a lump on a log, and you got the Jezebel completely, got him right in the palm of her little hand. directing him whatever direction she wants. She knows what, how to control this little boy. She knows. Look at this leash I got here. <laughs> Go 
go this way, sucker. Make sure you get that done by the time I get back. Me and the girls are going out wine tasting. And, and you hear this kind of talk. I mean, you just see it in culture. And, and, and I wonder if you went home, what, would it, what, what does this look like in your own home? Men want Jezebels, and women want to rule over men, and so they'll accept it. They'll accept that role, because what it does is gives them control, because you're an idiot. You're a dummy. And somebody's got to run the show here, because we got these kids, we got all this finance, we got to make sure everybody gets up and goes to church on time. So somebody's got to be in control of all of this, and if he lets it be me, it'll be me. And if all I got to do is, you know, Netflix isn't that much a month. It is very rare that a woman of such high well-breeding, highbrow, well-bred, as Herodias' daughter, does one of these dances. Now, I was talking to Peter last week about this, and, I, and I'm with him on this, because I saw a made-for-TV movie when I was younger. And like in, the, in, in this scene in the movie, like the girl comes in and does kind of this weird belly dance, which just seemed weird anyway, because I'm, I'm not into that kind of culture, right? I mean, it's just belly dancing just never made any sense to me on any level. And you're like, oh, he's going to offer half the kingdom for that? That seems really weird. That's not, right? This is not a cultural event. This is not tap dancing. She does not go in there and perform ballet. Last week, when I referred, this is the thing that said Dean off, I said the pole dancing niece. That is what I'm talking about here, right? Herodias is 40, which isn't that old, but every culture, you can't change it. Why send the 40-year-old when you got a 17-year-old? She knows exactly what goes on in these stag birthday parties. He's got all of his homies there, right? Antipas is in the room. He's got all the generals, all the leaders. It's nothing but men. They've been drinking for a while, and it, it says here, a, an opportunity presented itself because she knows what kind of silly little boys these are. They're going to go in there, and they're going to get all liquored up, and then at the right time, I'm going to send in the 17-year-old, and then I've got him in the palm of my hand. And it works perfectly. Because Herod, who's not a king, quotes the king from Esther here and says, hey, I'll give you any, that was a show, baby. Because usually we just see the common prostitute, but that, right? Think about sex videotapes that come out of super famous people. Why do millions of people go online to watch those? Because you're seeing somebody who's really, who you would never see do this kind of thing, do this kind of thing. And that tantalizes people. And Herodias is banking on that fact. All of these men are like little puppies, right, eating out of her hand. And he says, like he's the king from the book of Esther, I'll give you anything you want up to half my kingdom. He doesn't even have a kingdom. He thinks he's somebody he's not. He thinks he's somebody he's not. Men, just like you. And he's got all his homies there, and he's got to look good. He's got to look big. He's got to look kingly. Anything you want, little girl. Anything you want. You want to be, hey, I'm into marrying nieces. You want to be, right? Everything's open here. The young woman doesn't even know what to ask for. She doesn't even know what's going on. No clue. She, it says she doesn't know what to ask for. So she goes and sees mom. <laughs> Can you imagine she's just sitting there eating grapes? <laughs> Has that woman ever met a decent man? Well, yeah, one, but she's about to murder him. She wants to rule, and she's got it. She can kill whoever she wants. All she's got to do is use some flesh through the flesh of men, and she just controls them like little puppets. Bring me that man's head. 
Now, the girl is 17 at the time. We learned this from Josephus, who's a historian. She adds this little de- what, what kind of education is this young woman receiving? She adds the on a platter part. Because they're at a banquet. You know it would be funny? Right? She's a teenager. She's totally immature. You know what would be funny? Put his head on a platter. It's a, look, see? The last dish at this feast is going to be the thing that my mom really wanted. You idiots. Talk about sticking it to the man. She got exactly what she wanted. She is smarter than any, all hundred of you guys in this room all at the same time. And I'm going to add a little bit to it, and I'm going to grow up, and I want to be just like her. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to say, yeah, put it on a platter. Put it there on the table with, next to the, you know, the, the roasted pig with the apple in its mouth and the salad that nobody ate. Jezebels are going to Jezebel. That's what they're going to do, right? Now, now, what do we have in our own culture? What do we have? This is full circle here. Girls, this is what the culture tells you. This is the lies coming to your home. It's not about having a, about having a husband. It's not about having a bunch of kids. It's not, you, you can't homeschool. Right? We have professionals that do the schooling. You can go to work just like a man, though. And you know what? You go there and you wear a low-cut dress and there's a bunch of older ladies there, you're going to find yourself in management lickety-split. And let me tell you, I worked at a place just like this. All of the women who were promoted in the two years, three years I was there, everyone knows now what I'm talking about, they all looked a little similar, like sisters almost. And they thought our boss, the only male in the place, was really funny. And he wasn't really funny. Right? And this, these are the lies flooding into our homes. These are the lies, right? How did this culture get this way? How did a young woman who is pregnant, how is she convinced that going into an abortion clinic and murdering the baby isn't just a right that she has, it's the only morality. It's just. I don't, I don't want the little kid unwanted. I don't want the little kid to grow up wanting for anything. And all the men, she's like, yeah, girl. <laughs> You'll be back out on the street in a few minutes. Available. There's a Babylon Bee article that my wife thought was really funny, and, and, and this, this, this couple in the article is, is announcing that they're having a baby, and the woman has to turn in her feminist card because she brought another white male into the world. She's, you know, she's turned down the sisterhood. Every one of us in this room hate abortion clinics. Every one of us in this room hate the immorality and the sexual license and the disgusting filth out there. Where did it start? Herod is the king of the... We go to Revelation, the people who are doing good works and doing all this faithful stuff, they want Jezebels. They want them. And then when we make them, we unleash hell on the whole world. Ask the 60, whatever, 150 million dead babies? How many is it now? We do not know ourselves. We hardly understand the fight that we're fighting. We are raising children in this culture. And, and, and right, you go down to the local public school and they start them real young. 
right? We're going to have some transvestites come in here and do kindergarten reading time because we got to make sure that these kids are indoctrinated in just the right way so that they grow up without boundaries. I, I don't care. I will talk to anyone at any time, but think about it from simply this way. How expensive it is, are you equipped to do it or not? There's all kinds of things to be said about homeschooling and Christian education, all this stuff. It's simple as this. If you, right, C.S. Lewis said, you, if you, I'm, I'm so excited, I'm getting ahead of myself. The public school is only a failure if you think the point was education. Because it's, they want Jezebels. Right? They're now moving to the point where the male and female is no longer a boundary. And if, and if you don't understand that, you're not paying attention. Now, what does this look like in your own home? What does this look like in your own home? Again, a lot of this, we are so far from a lot of the details here, but let's think about this for a moment. The standard is not Hollywood. The standard is not the Republican platform. The standard is not Rush Limbaugh and his conservatism. The standard, please Jesus, is not Donald Trump. The man's had three wives. Does he like a Jezebel? You bet he does. This is what we have. All of this is easily dismissed by most of us until you remember this fact. Jesus said that you can murder someone without leaving the confines of your own mind. You can commit adultery without leaving the confines of your own mind. That's the standard. Okay, now go back and look at what you've been watching. Now go back and look at what you, how you've been talking, what you've been looking at, how your relationships are at, at, at work. Ladies, the temptation that you have every day is to rule and reign over us. Because, and, and, and I, I hear you, sisters, I hear you. We make it a little too easy, Right? In my own house, sometimes I re- it's, it's a temptation because it's true. If I just put my wife in charge, a, a great number of things actually would get a lot better real fast. But what, what would, right? You start to create a woman without boundaries, a woman who's in charge, a woman who is like a man, and what do you end up with? In Isaiah, when God is judging Israel, he says, you're ruled over by little boys and women. We've got Donald Trump and, and this congresswoman, AOC. Seriously, do yourself a favor and go look her up. We're, run, we're a nation run by little boys and women. The church is run by what? <laughs> little boys and women. We do, we're not even showing up, right? We just turn on Netflix and we're like, the, our, our TV programs, we go on the blogs, we, we, t- we eat all the feminist garbage. Men, we like to tantalize our flesh because we like pleasure more than piety. And, and we just live in this aphorus all the time that we just think is this garden of delights. And more ministers are leaving the church. More children are leaving the church. The, the church is run by women and little boys. And the culture is, is got this meat grinder where they're just like churning the babies through it by the millions and we want to just pick up stones and start stoning people. It require, Even to understand what we're talking about requires wisdom. And James says, if you want wisdom, stop being a double-minded person. Stop living in two worlds. Stop trying to go down two paths at one time. Stop. Back up. Follow him. 
Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the man who knew how to treat women. He's the man that knew that Jezebels need to be forgiven, that they need to be led, that they need to repent. And he had no problem calling them out. John the Baptist had no problem calling them out. And, and listen, men, you don't even want to call your own wives out the situation you've created because it's going to require some dying. And John the Baptist is like, hey, I, I don't fear a sword. You guys are adulterers, and I don't care who knows it. That's courage. That's piety. And what we have is a bunch of little boys who can't even say to themselves anything, who can't say to their wives, their kids anything, because really, they're just little herons. They don't want to rock the boat, baby. It is a sad age in which we live. We are men living between two worlds, and we wonder, right? Why all the problems? Where are all these problems popping up in my marriage, all these problems in my home, my kids, the culture? It's you. You're the problem. And the only answer is Jesus. The only answer in your home is Jesus. The only answer for your marriage is Jesus. What did he do? How did he act? What was his expectation? I pray for all of us that we would even understand what the struggle is out there and that we would go into our own homes and that we would not be satisfied with the fact, well, you know... Striptease as a conspiracy to commit murder, check, I'm good. We don't need to go any further. No, go further, please. Get the word of God out, open it. Go further. Men love Jezebels. Women love to be Jezebels because what they want is to rule. It's happening in your home. And what you need to do is root it out. Root it out. Stop living between two worlds and follow Jesus with all your heart, all your mind, all your body, all your soul, all your spouses, all your children, with the whole community. We're not going to waver. We're not going to get distracted. We're going to die to our own self because it's not a feast of pleasure. It's a banquet of death. That is what we need is conviction. What we need is to stand fast. What we need to do is be ruthless, ruthless with ourselves. That is what Jesus calls us to. And, and what does he do? He forgives. What does he do to the prostitute? Stop sinning. He protects, he defends, he lifts up, he unburdens. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. He, right, truth will set you free. The lies coming in about feminism, the lies coming in about the roles of men and women, it's all lies. The truth will set you free. The standards of marriage, the truth will set you free. May we all pursue the truth heartily and with, with all of our strength, all of our hearts, all of our minds. May we do that. May we draw the line in the sand. And men, may we really truly begin to lead in this way. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that you are consistent. I pray, Father, that as we heard all of this, all of this difficult truth, I pray, Lord God, that you would convict us of our sin, the sins that we don't ourselves even at this moment know that we're committing. I pray, Lord God, that you would deliver us from ourselves, our flesh, our, our pursuit of our own pleasures. I pray, Lord God, that you would restore the, the backbone of, of all of the men in this room, all of the men in this country, that we would lead our wives and our, our children and this culture in, in a way that glorifies you. It, it begins and ends with us. And I pray, Lord God, that our failures would not be an excuse for the ladies to go their own way. I pray, Lord God, that you would deliver us from ourselves and that you would fill our hearts and our minds with the Lord Jesus Christ. And amen.